Well, good morning. My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to be looking from, at that passage in Mark. If you have a Bible, therefore, uh, take your Bible and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the round tables for you. You can get up and get one. And if you don't know where Mark is, that's all right. We all start somewhere. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're new to the Bible. Uh, there's a table of contents for you in, fr- in the front of your Bible. Well, as you're turning there, I want to uh, tell you a little bit about me. Uh, and what I want to tell you about me is uh, very small and very simple, and that is that I am a fan of The Office. I watched the whole saga, like all seasons, and uh, one of the subplots that happens in The Office is this tension, this rivalry that develops between Michael Scott and Toby Flinderson. You see, Michael Scott is the branch manager, and Toby, he said, well, he's not part of the family because he's with HR, Right. And HR, of course, is not part of the family. HR is always the enemy. And so Michael and Toby, they've got this kind of rivalry, and it comes to a head in this episode that's called Goodbye, Toby. It's Toby's last day, and he's about to have his exit interview. And, um, and of course, HR should be giving him his exit interview, but Michael decides that he's going to give the exit interview to Toby. And he's got him in a room. He's not actually supposed to be doing this, but he's got him in a room. He, uh, he, inter- he intrudes on the exit interview um, before the HR representative, the new one, gets there. And he's sitting down, and he's got, he says, I've got some questions for you, Toby. And then he brings out these flashcards And he looks down at this flashcard and he says, who do you think you are? And then he stops and he says, what gives you the right? We're in the Gospel of Mark. And there has been this rising tension. A tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And... We have an episode, we are coming to Jesus' final week, and it's goodbye Jesus in a way. And as we come to this final week, the religious leaders come up to him and they ask him, verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? In other words, they're saying, Who do you think you are? And what gives you the right? It's actually a really important question. Who does Jesus think he is? And what gives him the right? Let me pray for us as we consider it. Lord, as as we bow before your word and seek to understand it and And as Mark drives us to this question, who is Jesus? May we see him with clear eyes and accept him for all that he is. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Well, no one can read through the Gospels. If you are just starting off uh, exploring Christianity, I really recommend that you sit down and read the Gospels. That's the place to start. And no one can read through the Gospels without realizing that, that no one actually in the Gospels gives Jesus a tepid response. That everyone who actually approaches Jesus, especially towards the end, uh, takes an extreme stand. They either bow down and worship him, or they seek to get rid of him. 
to crucify him. At the end of the day, you either crown him or crucify him. And the reason why is because Jesus is making these audacious claims. We actually saw the audacious claim that he's making last week when he goes into the temple. And he shuts down the temple. You have to understand that this has a context. In the ancient world, uh, other people had gone into the temple because they were declaring themselves to be the king, the Messiah. A uh, hundred years before Jesus, in the Maccabean revolt, Judas Maccabees marches into the temple and declares his authority over it. He was coming to be the savior of Israel. A uh, hundred years after Jesus, during the Bar Kokhba revolt, there was another guy who goes into the temple and he was claiming authority over the temple. You see, the temple was always bound up with the king, like King David and King Solomon. The great kings of Israel. And so when someone wanted to declare their authority, they came to the temple. And they said, I have authority over this place. So when Jesus goes into the temple that day, he's not leading a protest. He's making a political statement. I am king. I am the king of Israel. I am the king of Israel. But not just the king of Israel, because Israel believed that their king, the great king, the Messiah, he was going to be the king of the world. It's an audacious claim. Moreover, Jesus would say that his body was the temple, and if you tore it down, he'd build it up in three days. And in other words, he was claiming that he actually was the place where you access God. He was the place where you have relationship with God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. These are audacious claims. And they, they actually if they're treated with integrity, they cause us to give them an extreme response. Jesus is basically saying, crown me or kill me. But, but whatever you don't, don't say I'm an interesting guy. Don't say I'm a good moral teacher because that lacks integrity. That lacks all integrity. You either say he's a lunatic or you say he's Lord. But you can't say he's just a good moral teacher. You can't say he's an all right guy. He's either deity or he's deranged. Which is it? Whatever it is, Jesus is basically saying, I, I don't come to be admired. You either have to accept my absolute authority or else completely reject it. And so, Jesus makes this claim about authority. And we want to ask, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? So here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the problem with Jesus' authority. We're going to look at the paradox of Jesus' authority. We're going to look at the persistence of Jesus' authority. And then finally, we're going to look at the purpose of Jesus' authority. And if you like alliteration, then I'll take all the credit. And if you don't like alliteration, then you can blame my wife and my colleague, because they helped me out with that. So first, the problem. Uh, these religious teachers have a problem with Jesus' claim to authority. They want to know, verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? What gives you the right? They are skeptical of Jesus' claim to authority. And I think we can relate. We live in a culture that's extremely skeptical about authority. In fact, the word authority, if you think about it, has almost a wholly negative connotation in our society. Right? 
And there are a lot of reasons for this. There are lots of reasons for this. I mean, we don't have to look at the news just this week with Harvey uh, Weinstein going in uh, to be reminded about the abuses of people in power. Uh, the Me Too movement has shown up the abuses, rampant abuses, in the entertainment and the political arena of people in power. Uh, we also can look at the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, whether or not you agree with tactics or whatever, they're showing up the abuses that are in law enforcement and in uh, the judicial arena. And there are abuses of authority all over the place. That's why uh, Lord Acton said a century ago, famously, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then nobody quotes this part, but he says, great men are almost always bad men. Great men are almost always bad men. But it's not just abuses of power, I think, that are reasons why we are real skeptical about authority and question authority. It's also kind of intrinsic to the American spirit, is it not? I mean, we're the ones who told King George, no, sir. Right? We're the ones who are, are kind of the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit of America is, you're not going to tell me what to do, and we're going to find a new way. And whatever the old way was, and whatever the tradition was, there's got to be a better way. And I'm not going to let you dictate... Uh, the path I go forward, and that, that's got a lot of like, beautiful things about it. It's what makes us so entrepreneurial and inventive. It's what makes us uh, industrious. But it also can have a negative side. And part of the negative side is it can make us where we are fragmented, where we have a hard time working together, where communities devolve. And it makes it really hard for us to accept any and every type of authority. Now, if you don't believe me, let me just give you a couple examples. Think about traffic laws. Traffic laws, right? I don't know about you, but this is how I view traffic laws. If I understand the traffic law, and I agree with the traffic law, then I follow the traffic law, and I get everybody mad at everybody else when they disobey the traffic law. Why are you going so fast? Don't you know you're going to get someone killed? Why are you splitting lanes? Don't you know you're going to get someone killed, right? Uh, but if I'm driving down the street and I think, 25, that's ridiculous. You can at least go 50 on the street, right? The, then I don't really have a problem going over 25, right? I'm the person that, if I don't understand it, then I don't obey it. it which means that I never actually submit to authority. I might agree with someone else, but I'm not actually submitting to authority, Okay. I know it's just me, right? None of you do that with traffic, traffic laws. No. Pull over to the side lane. No. Just to exit quicker. Pull back in. Okay. Um, you know, uh, never go through parking lots to get through. No. Um, so there's traffic laws. But then what about, how about how we treat experts? The other, uh, the other week, Neve was saying to uh, us, bananas are really healthy because they have lots of protein. And Pam says to Neve, who's a registered dietitian, not Neve, Pam. Um, <laughs> Pam says to Neve, yes, bananas are healthy, but they don't have a lot of protein. They have hardly any protein. And Neve says, no, 
bananas are healthy and have a lot of protein. And Pam's like, no, they don't. And Neve goes, how do you know? And Pam goes, well, I'm a dietitian and I studied this for a long time. And Neve goes, no, you're not. And then I said, well, actually, mommy is a registered dietitian, and her registration is still valid, and she studied this for a long time, and mommy actually knows. And Neve says, bananas have protein. (laughs) And I laugh, and we laugh, but the reality is is that the way Neve treats, what's really funny in our household is the way that Neve treats my wife is actually how every other adult treats my wife, which is, if I agree with your nutrition advice, then it's valid. But if I don't agree with what you tell me when I ask you nutrition advice, then I'm going to agree with somebody else. I'm not going to agree, right? And anyone who's here in the medical profession, you know this, okay? You're not going to tell me. What gives you the right to tell me about my body? Uh, I don't care about the scientific research. I don't care about the experiments. Who has a right to tell me? And we do this on all kinds of things, right? Uh, we, we don't trust experts, and part of that is just our, our questioning of authority. And maybe there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons for that is that we don't like giving up control. That's the issue with the religious leaders, and we're not all that different from them. I mean, what do they want Well, remember what's going on. Jesus is going into the temple. And remember where they are. They're in the temple precincts, verse 27. And they say, by what authority are you doing these things? These things being shutting down the temple because they are the ones, the religious echelon, who have authority over that place. And they're saying, who are you to tell us what to do? So there's a couple things that are interesting about this. The one is this. Don't, um, don't overlook the fact that it's actually their control and their desire for control over ministry that causes them to reject God. The Bible's not all, all positive on religion. Some of its most scathing critiques are against the religious. And we see that here because there's a religious way of rejecting God. But the other thing is, is that, that I think, religious or not, we can relate to this. Because the temple was the place where forgiveness was offered. The temple was the place where you meet with God. And when Jesus goes in, and he starts throwing the furniture around. And he shuts down the temple. What he's saying is, I get to say how you approach God. I get to say how you can meet with God. I get to say how you can have a relationship with God. And they want to know what gives you the right. You know, tons and tons and tons of store, uh, studies out there show this. But you could, just, you could just go to a coffee shop and have a couple conversations to confirm it. And that's this. We are very independently minded in America, and we like, we like the sense that nobody tells me what to do, and I've got to go my own way. Uh, but I would say that if there's an area in which we hold that value most precious, it's in our spirituality. 
I mean, the reality is, is almost every American says, I and I alone can judge what is right and wrong for me. And Americans tend not to believe that it is ever right to give up ultimate spiritual authority to some external party. Be it a minister, be it the church, or even be it a religious leader like Jesus. The sense that we have is is what gives you the right to tell me how to treat my money, my time, my body, my marriage. And even those who are followers of Jesus actually have this mentality. It's why we kind of pick and cherry pick in the Bible. The things that we like, we like. The other things we don't like and we reject. And we say, who really believes that? And so, when these religious leaders reject Jesus and they question his authority, it's not altogether different than when we hear statements in the Bible like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people in our culture say, really? We say, really? No. Are you really saying that all those good Muslims and Hindus, that they don't have a relationship with God? Or when we hear statements like Acts 4.12 and Peter saying, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no under na- name under heaven among which men must be saved, we say, no, 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 no. Which raises this issue, and that's this, that, that Jesus, he claims authority, and that authority actually brings a confrontation in any and all of our lives. Because Jesus, when he comes into your life, he comes as king or he doesn't come at all. And he says, you either have to accept me or as king or you reject me completely. And so the question is, is have you accepted him? See, if you say, I believe in God, but I also believe it's up to me to decide what is right and wrong for me. And that there's no friction between what you believe is right and what God believes is right, and there's never actually a confrontation about that, then it's probably not God that you believe in, but like a Stepford God that you have made, as Tim Keller says. It's your own projection of God, but the God that you're projecting is really just you. See, if there's no actual rub, if there are no places in your life where the call of Jesus is like hard, if there are no places in your life where you say, Jesus what you're asking me to do here, I don't understand and I don't like, then maybe you're not following the real Jesus. Maybe you're following a Jesus that you've made. See, relationships, it means that you have to deal with the other. And when you have to deal with the other, like roommates and marriage and that kind of thing, when you have to deal with the other, you have to let them speak. And their opinions be valid. And listen to those opinions and you have to adjust to those opinions. But if there's always agreement, then guess what? Anybody, any like counselor would tell you, if you have a relationship where you agree 100% of the time, there's probably something seriously wrong with the relationship. Because there's not a relationship. You're not relating to the other. Jesus is claiming that I am the holy other God. And I have absolute authority. And, and you actually have to change. See, if we follow... Jesus only when we agree, 
can accept his teaching and what he says and understand it, then, then we're never obeying him. We're just agreeing with him. And that's different. So here's the question for us. Will you let Jesus show you, will I let Jesus show me that I'm not an authority at the very places where I want to question his authority? Will you let Jesus show you that he's an authority in the very places where you are prone to question his authority? Have you accepted Jesus' authority or have you rejected it? And if you haven't accepted Jesus' authority, whose authority are you accepting? Because you are accepting somebody's. Which brings me to the paradox. The paradox of authority. When they ask this question to Jesus, he responds to them in verses 29 and 30. He says, I will ask you a question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now, they don't want to answer him because they know if they say that it's from John then, and they don't like John, then that will actually validate Jesus. See, Jesus is not talking about John's baptism just to talk about John. Jesus is talking about John's baptism because Jesus was baptized by John. And at John's baptism, Jesus was anointed. And at John's baptism, there was a voice that said, this is my beloved son. You see, Jesus' baptism was his anointing as king. And so that's why Jesus goes there. Because if they say yes, then they have to admit that he's king. But they don't want to say yes, but they also don't want to say no. And the reason they don't want to say no, even though they know that no is the answer. They say, I don't know, but they know the answer. That's why Jesus says, neither will I tell you. Because he's saying, no, you're not willing to tell me. It's not that you honestly don't know the answer. You're not willing to say. Why aren't they willing to say? Verse 32, they were afraid of the people. And that's not the only time it says that they were afraid of the people. Back at the, after Jesus tells the parable of the tenant in Mark 12, 12, they realize that Jesus is speaking against them. They're very perceptive. And as they realize this, they want to arrest him, but they don't arrest him. Why? Mark 12, 12, because they feared the people. So they're rejecting Jesus because they want to claim, a, claim their independence and their authority. And they want to have the right to do what they want to do and to, and to, and to, and to rule their own lives. But let me ask, who really rules their lives? Who really determines their decisions? Are they determining their decisions, whatever they want? No. They're acting according to the crowd, which a lot of li- religious leaders do. That's who's controlling their decisions. You see, here's the principle. Whenever we reject one authority, we're always putting ourselves under another authority. You reject the authority of the registered dietitian, and then you accept the authority of the personal trainer. You reject the authority of your economics professor, then you accept the authority of your radio personality that you like. You reject the Bible's teaching on marriage, and then you accept the authority of positive psychology. You you reject uh, the authority of the Bible's teaching on the uniqueness and exclusivity of Jesus. And then you put yourself under the authority of pluralism's maxim that everything is okay except for exclusivity. But either way, you're always putting yourself under another authority. You're always being driven by someone else. C.S. Lewis, he, he, he had this great comment about... He was reflecting on the fact that, you know, societies have by and large done away with monarchies. But he said, but we actually can't. 
He says, monarchy is easily debunked. The actual record of kings is abysmal, full of tyranny, of course. And yet, where we are forbidden to honor a king, we will honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous gangsters. For spiritual nature, like physical nature, will be served. Deny it food, it will gobble up poison. What is Lewis saying? He's saying, look, we were actually built and made to live under authority and to live under monarchs. But if we reject a king, then we're going to set up a king somewhere else. But you're always going to erect a king. You're always going to live for something. You're always going to serve something. And something besides you is always going to be determining your actions your desires, and how you act. See, none of us are just independent. And so the question is not whether or not you will live under authority. The question is, to whom or to what are you submitting? That's the question. And why, then, should you submit to Jesus? Well, that's the last two points. It brings us to the persistence of Jesus' authority. And here's the persistence. Jesus says, verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But he actually does tell them. His question hints at it. I mentioned it earlier. When he says, was the baptism from, uh, of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. He's basically saying, if you answer it's from heaven, which I believe it was, then you are saying that I am the world's rightful king. And in case they don't get that, he makes it very clear when he tells the story about the tenants, uh, they are very uh, perceptive. They understand that he tells this parable against them. And that's because Jesus is borrowing from a well-worn imagery from the Old Testament, like Isaiah 5, which was read earlier. In the Old Testament, like places like Isaiah 5, we see that, that God is depicted as a vineyard owner. And he takes care of his vineyard, and the vineyard is Israel. And Jesus tells a story of a landowner who had a vineyard, but he had to go off. And so he has these tenant farmers who come in, and the tenant farmers are there leasing the land. This happened lots in the first century world. But, but then when the uh, tenant farmer at the end of the harvest comes to collect, because that's part, of, uh, that's part of the dues of working the farm, is that you had to pay off some of the proceeds to the landowner who owned the land rightfully, he sends his servants. Servant, of course, is a term for prophet throughout the whole Old Testament. And so he sends his servants, which they beat and they kill. And remember, he's just mentioned John the Baptist, who was killed. Well, he talks about how they beat his servants, but then finally he says, I will send my son. And who is the son? But Jesus. And they get it. See, Jesus is saying, I am the Son. I am the Son of the Father. And my authority derives from Him. Finally, He sent to them the Son, saying they will respect my Son, but they didn't. Chapter 12, verse 8, they took Him and they killed Him and they threw Him out of the vineyard. But here's the question. What will the vineyard owner do? Verse 9. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. What that line says and what it shows is how self-defeating it is to try to rebel against the authority of the landowner. 
and in the parable how self-defeating it is to try to rebel against the authority of God. Because God's authority is ultimate. It is persistent. You cannot outmaneuver his authority. In fact, so great is his authority that he even will use your rejection of him to further his purposes. Chapter 12, verse 10. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's saying... Look, even, even your attempts at rejecting and rebelling against the authority of the king, they're so self-defeating that he will even use those for his own purposes. Like, you don't even alter his course, not a little bit. And so, to rebel against the authority of God, it is, it is self-defeating and it is, it, is, it is just ridiculous. It's, it's like the story, the, the story that's told often of, um, used a lot in sermon illustrations, so I'll use it now, uh, about the, um, the captain who is in a ship, and he sees some light, and, uh, and the captain says to his, uh, to his shipmen, uh, tell them to alter their course 10 degrees south, and they get a quick reply, alter your course 10 degrees north, and the captain's kind of upset about this, and so he's like, I'm going to pull rank. I am a captain. Alter your uh, course 10 degrees south, and the person comes back. Well, I am Seaman Jones, third class. Alter your course 10 degrees north. And the captain's like, who does this guy think he is? Okay, now I'm really going to scare him. And he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply is, you alter your course 10 degrees south, or 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Uh, and you resisting the authority of the lighthouse? That's always fun. You resisting the authority of the lighthouse? Guess what? It's not going to work out so well. It's like rejecting and resisting God's authority is like resisting the authority of gravity. You can try to do it, but guess what? You don't break it. It breaks you. And it's the same way. And so... And so, Jesus' authority is inescapable because it's God's authority. And we reject it at our peril, and that's why you should accept it. But you say, but Kyle, I don't, I don't really care, even if his authority is ultimate, even if his authority is going to break me. I would rather rebel against him and maintain some semblance of control than submit. So why should you accept Jesus' authority? Well, that brings us to the last point, and that's the purpose of Jesus' authority. When he says the stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone, he is alluding to Psalm 118. And that psalm, in that psalm, uh, it, it's, it is basically, um, it's picking up on the story of the building of the temple. And when they build the temple... There's this extra stone laying around and the builders look at it and they're like, we don't know where this stone goes or what to do with this stone. So they push it to the side and then someone comes along and they find the stone and they put it up and it goes in the exact place, the cornerstone that holds everything together. And what Jesus is saying, by the way, the word in Hebrew, the word sun and the word stone are like one letter, one sound off. 
So Jesus is saying, I am the son and I am the stone. And I am the one whose authority holds everything together. See, I'm the one who makes, whose authority makes sense of your life. Around the 1930s, there were a group of French psychologists uh, who wrote this book called The Authoritarian Personality. And when they wrote this book, it was very influential, translated into English around the 50s. And the premise of the book was basically that authority and authoritarian people and that kind of thing are all um, acting out of this weakness. And authority is generally, it's bad. And so then this came over to America and started influencing kind of parenting styles. And so all the parenting books from the 50s through, I mean, it even goes on today, basically say, never exert your authority as a parent over a child, right? You always have to reason with them, you have to talk with them, but you don't actually ever say, I'm the parent, you're the child, that's why you do it. You don't ever kind of exert authority, because authority is wrong, is the premise. Um, and so there's been a host, a generation of people trying to raise kids without ever kind of pulling rank, if you will. Uh, and assuming rank, and it's always, well, if I can convince them, great, and if I can, okay. But then some studies came out recently, in the last decade or so, and what they have looked at is actually the anxiety and even suicide rates in, in kids. And what they trace it to, one of the big things they trace it to, is the fact that they didn't have stability and structure at home because there was no sense of authority. And so they didn't know up from down. And left from right. And so they're like, where, where am I? What's the purpose of the world? How does the world work? And that created a tremendous amount of anxiety because there was no sense of structure. Right? What the studies are showing, in other words, is that actually authority, exercised in the right way, is a good thing. It's something that's necessary for our lives. That it makes sense of our lives. And Jesus is saying, I am the cornerstone. I am the one who makes sense of your life. I am the authority that does this. Because I, I think, I think this really, well, let's just ask the question, why do we really reject authority? We say, because we want to go at our own. But I don't think that that's just it. And I don't think that we think that we know more either. I mean, we reject the authority of experts, but do we really think we're omniscient? I don't think any of us would say that. So why do we reject the authority of experts? Do you know what I think it is? I think it's what we see in this passage, why they rejected the authority of the landowner. Did you notice what happens? In verse 12 it says, This is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Why did they say that? What did they want? They wanted the inheritance. And do you know what they believe? If they're talking about inheritance and the son is coming, they think the father's died. The landowner's died. And that means that they're not going to be taken care of. See, what they believe and they're fearful of is that no one will take care of them. They're going to be kicked off the farm. No one's going to take care of them. And if nobody's going to take care of them and nobody's going to love them, then they have to take care of themselves. And that's why I think we reject authority. 
because we're afraid that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. It's the old, old story. It's the story that goes back to the beginning of the world. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Adam and Eve believed that God was restrictive and holding out on them. And so they thought that in order to get the good life, in order to get the good, they had to take and they couldn't receive. And we've been taking ever since. But here's the truth of this authority. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. What Jesus is saying is that that even their rejection was part of the plan of God. Even his death was part of the plan of God. And that death was to actually save sinners and rebels. That that God exerts his authority in such a way that even those who reject him and and even uses their rejection in order to save them. In other words, this God, he doesn't use his authority to hurt you or to to not give. He is not holding out on you, but he actually gives over his son so that he can give to you. God who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? And now, and then Paul says, and now if we are children, then we are heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. You see, all things are yours. God gave you his son and he gives you all things. And he actually exercises his authority on your behalf to love you and to save you. And that's why you want to accept it. Because because he's the one who uses his ultimate authority to protect you and to preserve you. So that no power of hell and no scheme of man could ever pluck you from his hand. And that's what you need. You need a sovereign God who is all-powerful and all-wise, but who also loves you and uses his authority to love you, to save you, to keep you. And when you realize that, then you can submit. Then you can accept. Simon Sinek tells this story about some Marines that were out on a field and they were eating and as is the Marines custom, the commander ate last. But after all the troops went through, they found that uh, the, um, the commander, there was no food left and so he sat there without food. And the men started, heard, got word and said that they came back from the battlefield and they started sharing their food with him. Right? And, and Simon Sinek tells the story to show that, that actually the leader who exercises their authority to sacrifice for another, well, that's the one who you want to serve, right? And these men, they wanted to serve their captain because they said, if he's the first to sacrifice for us, then we can sacrifice and trust him. God gives up so much more than a meal for you. And when God exercises his authority for you, He did so to give up his only begotten son. How will he not freely with him give you all things? 
This is marvelous in our eyes. Lord, please grant us the grace to accept your loving rule in our lives. Please grant us the grace to trust that you not only know best, but you are for us and you want and you desire our best. And in so doing, enable us to open our hands and receive your good gifts and to move our feet and follow you, submitting to your will and knowing life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.